G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. This year is honestly flying by. Back in March, it was a long while ago, we had our Women in Ag panel in Melbourne. One of the people who were on our panel was Beck Underwood. Now, technology wasn't our friend on the day. We had a couple of little issues, hence the recording didn't actually work. Actually, the recording worked. The microphones that we had didn't work. So what I thought we'd do is loop back. I found Beck's background, her insights on the night, really insightful. So I thought it was time to let a little bit of water go under the bridge and then catch up again for a bit of a yarn. So let's just get into it. Welcome back to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve. And this week, we're going for a bit of round two. We sat down with Beck Underwood from Nutrien back at our Women in Ag event. Gosh, it was back in March. Doesn't that feel like forever ago? <laughs> it does, for sure. Yeah. Now, Beck, you're the National Sustainability Field Manager for Nutrien Ag Solutions and the Director for Land Care Australia. When we sat down and chatted, it was off the back of our She Can campaign and really showcasing and highlighting the careers and opportunities for women around agriculture. I think your career is really interesting from the sleeves up, hands-on agronomy side to now really looking down that barrel of the commercial lens, leading teams, leading people, being really involved. So I think what I'm keen to chat about and probably revisit really for the people who weren't there on the night is around that deliberate decision-making and how it's evolved over your career. And I guess also too, just the importance of throwing yourself out there and the chances of having luck kind of work in your favor. But I'm standing on Gadigal country. You're on the lands of the Kulin Nation, where Zoom is putting this one together for us. And one thing I did want to chat to you about, because this is something off the back of our event, we had like, there was a couple of aspects, which was awesome. We had about 50 people come together and they absolutely loved it. The thing which I was probably a little bit frustrated by was we only had three blokes in the room. And my thinking is like, how do we, like the conversations we had about how do we be, be more inclusive? How do we create opportunities? How do we support women? And that comes from everyone it's not just one person but for conversations like that if we had our time again when we have our time again to host an event like that what do you reckon we can do differently yeah and ollie it's a good question and we've asked ourselves this question we've run a, a number of regional events where we're trying to highlight uh, women in ag and tell some really inspiring stories of, of some women and men and how we advocate for women in ag and to a lot of those events too, the male population in the room was pretty limited so again we're still struggling on that I think it's finding, though, if, if I had to have my time over again for our Melbourne uh, session for Humans of Ag, it's probably really finding those key advocates, those key male advocates, and they are out there and there is plenty of them, but finding those key male advocates and really encouraging them to get along and then encourage other men to get along because in the end, we had a lot of women in the room, but they're probably converted. <laughs> We're preaching to the choir. We really need those men to come along. I don't have a really good answer, but really just working through those key male advocates for women in ag. Yeah. And I think it's like something which like I've asked the question of our team and thought so much about it. Like how can we get more people into the room? And like, I think it's something we can really throw to the audience. Like when it comes to these events and it, even just remove women from ag, but it might be about talking about people with disabilities in ag or just let's go broad brush and go inclusivity. How do we make this sector more inclusive? But when you start to talk about these subjects, which are a little bit more pointed, and not focused on weather markets, et cetera, people seem to shy away because they are uncomfortable in the sense of like, it challenges you to really think a little bit more. And I think that's a good thing. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've had conversations with, particularly around the women in ag side of the discussion, I've had some conversations with, you know, the white male, you know, 35 to 50, and I've got lots of friends that are in that category. And sometimes they're a little bit worried about what they'll say, like they're worried about saying the wrong thing with regards to women in ag. But look, I think a lot of these people are really key advocates. And it's just really, really having the tough conversations with some of those people that aren't. So I certainly wasn't very good at it up until recently. Last five years, I've probably really had some tough conversations around why people are doing what they're doing, which may not be as inclusive as it needs to be. So I think we've come a long way as a company, but I still think we've got a long way to go and so does the industry. So Let's pick on that. Let's not choose specific contexts. Let's talk about the evolution of you there. So what was it that flicked that switch to go, actually, I'm going to lean in and get uncomfortable? Yeah, that old saying about comfortable with being uncomfortable. I don't think anyone are comfortable with being uncomfortable, but certainly what I try to live by now, if those opportunities come up and they make you nervously excited, they're the ones you should be grabbing hold of, I think. And that's what I've certainly been trying to lean into in the last 10 years. Yeah, I mean, there's so many opportunities in ag. And I think if you're standing back and you're not putting yourself out there, then you're going to miss some of these opportunities. So it's really putting your hand up. I guess, and I've said this to you before, Ollie, back in the day, you know, I was really wondering, well, why do we need to highlight women in ag? And I I say that being very brutally honest, why do we need to highlight women in ag? Um, Why can't it just be people in ag or humans of ag, as the case may be? But I really do think that there's a need to do that. You know, women do face a lot of challenges, family, home pressures, and also And I know this can be the same for males, but just that self-confidence issue, like the lack of confidence that I see in a lot of women in the industry, I think that's a real challenge. And certainly that's been, to be honest, that's been my biggest roadblock in my career. I've been my own biggest roadblock, that lack of self-confidence. And I do see that. And I think it's really great to highlight women through programs and give them the opportunity to improve their self-confidence and put themselves out there for others to see. How did you improve that self-confidence? Was it that you actually needed to find those cheerleaders? Yeah, and it's a really tough one. People ask me this now, how do you improve self-confidence? And someone said, fake it till you make it. That didn't really resonate with me. I think it's just, it's been a long journey, to be honest. And I know the the 20-year-olds listening to this probably don't want to hear that. They probably want a silver bullet answer, but it is a long journey. There is a little bit of fake it till you make it, don't get me wrong. But yeah, networks, really key. Having those people, like you say, to cheer you on. And I have got a great group of people both within the company and also outside the company that will really do that. But yeah, there's no key to it. You know, reading, putting yourself out there into uncomfortable situations, eventually they'll become slightly more comfortable. You know, those networking events, it's all really key, but it just takes some time. There's no silver bullet to increasing your self-confidence. I don't believe others might have a different opinion on that. No, if someone's got one, can they let me know? Because I find, I still, yeah, no uncertain terms, I shit myself when it comes to it. It's like you're putting yourself out there. But for me, it's kind of just knowing that, okay, well, the reason I'm doing it is because it's kind of bigger than me and go like, oh, well, actually, if I'm not going to do it. And this was where Humans of Ag really started and where we struggled in the early days was because I didn't want to put myself anywhere near it because I was like, one, then I can become a target. Two, I don't want it to be about me. But like, to be honest, it was more one. It was like, I don't want to be that person. And then people go, oh, there's Ollie or whatnot. But like, if you or I aren't doing it, then how can we expect someone else to do it? Absolutely. And just, yeah, trying to, you know, certainly other women, men and women in the industry, just trying to really boost them up, give them, say when they've done a job well done. 
one of one of the the girls in the company said to me the other day, oh, "You're a great presenter, but um, I feel so nervous. I get very nervous. I think I've got this really bad wobble in my voice, but apparently uh, it doesn't come through." But so I would say some of the most seasoned people in, in the industry are still questioning themselves, still uh, have issues with self confidence. So it's just a continual journey, I think. So. And we asked it on that panel, but it's something I'd I'd love to chat to you about again because I think it ties in really nicely with this. Those voices on the shoulder of that, the self-confidence going back, you are good enough and you got this and just go and give it a red hot crack versus you know, like, you're not qualified to be here. What other noises come? Who turns up? How do you manage them? And then which one do you listen to? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this is a challenging question. So who turns up, I think actually depends on a lot of factors. And one for me is my stress level. So if I'm ultra stressed, at the time, those voices become worse. And then it actually is cycle and it perpetuates the voices become worse. And then you're questioning yourself more. So I think really depends on my state at the time. I'm trying to work on being cool, calm and collected. I haven't got there yet, I'm going to be honest. But uh, certainly that's something, trying to be calmer in all my dealings because I find that I make better decisions when I'm calmer. And I also don't react to that voice as much. Uh, sorry, what the other two parts to the question? Who turns up? How do you manage them? And then which one do you listen to? Yeah. So the managing part is for me trying to be calm and trying to talk through. So that network's really important. So if you're having a certain issue, picking up the phone, just chatting to someone and, you know, even if it is, oh, Jesus has really given me the shits today. Just having that conversation can sometimes just, yeah, take all the, the wind out of you and then really just try to reset. So I do find networks help enormously just trying to maintain that calmness. I think balance is sometimes a bit of a myth, to be honest. Work-life balance is a bit of a myth. But certainly, you know, if you can be less stressed and have a bit more balance, I do find it helps. Yeah. So, and listening to that voice, I listen to it less. I still listen to it, but I listen to it a lot less than I used to. Albeit, if I've had a really bad couple of weeks, it'll still pop its head up a bit more and I'll start to listen to that side a little bit more. I find I'm the same. Like, I struggle with approval. Like I want people to go, oh, but well, I want people to feel like I want to feel like people genuinely like me and I don't come across like a dickhead. And that's why I think that listening to that voice keeps you humble and going, but actually then also going, well, not earned the right, but yeah, I am okay to be in this position and I'm going to learn from it and not make it perfect or anything, but it's just going to be part of this journey and who knows what happens. Yeah. And I do think your point about being humble, I think it, there's a fine line with everyone about getting more confidence and being humble. Like, and, and, you know, they're definitely two on opposite sides of the spectrum, but I think it's definitely a balance between those two. Yeah, definitely. Let's chat about the girl from Molong and what it was about agriculture that drew you in. And was it always this love that you've got of the industry now? Yeah, so I grew up on a family farm between Molong and Cumnock. So yeah, two great little communities in central west New South Wales. Couldn't say anything better about each of them and grew up on a farm doing all sorts of stuff. And I really knew that I wanted to be involved in ag. I just was pretty confused as to what that looked like, what that path looked like when I was in year 10, 11. So left left school and decided to do ag science. I signed up to do ag science by distance education and thought, oh, I'll get a job at the same time. And if, if I didn't get a job, I'd go to uni full time. That was the plan. Anyway, it happened to be a, a local rural retail outlet in Cumnock and one man show or one woman show as the case was. And I got that job and I found out later the only reason I did get the job was because I was the only one who applied for the role. So anyway, it's a... Importance of throwing your hat in the ring. <laughs> exactly. Nonetheless. So 
started out there and I think for the first three days I was there by myself and, and certainly most of the time I was four plus days on my own in that branch. So really needed to teach myself how to drive a forklift, what the products were that I was selling and really and introduce myself to customers. And I was a pretty introverted 19-year-old at the time. So that whole thing about comfortable with being uncomfortable, I was certainly uncomfortable in that situation. So but a great start. The farmers in that community were excellent and still very close to a lot of them because they were just so supportive of me and, and that journey. So I did eventually start. So so I was a branch manager and that was because I was the only one there. <laughs> so which All was, in the title, Beck. It's all in the title. Good title at 19. Uh, so then I started a dual role as a branch manager slash agronomist. So once I got my ticket to practice agronomy, so did both for a while. And then some opportunities came up to purchase with the company I was with to purchase a couple of neighboring branches. So we purchased those branches and then I was sort of managing three branches and doing agronomy across those branches. And then eventually that company, very supportive company, they said to me, well, can you manage this area, which was 10 branches. And then I was also managing a, the seed portfolio for that company as well. So it's sort of, I think we talked about it last time. It was very just opportunity sort of fell into my lap or just came my way. I wasn't very deliberate about what I was doing and why I was doing it. So just sort of took the opportunities as they came to me. After that though, I guess, and like I said, that company was great but it was sort of just time for a change. And uh, that was when I became a little bit more deliberate about what I want to do with my career. And even I had never had a mentor before and really just started to look at how do I take control of my career and how do I start to drive this? And I don't, I don't think it was a conscious decision. It was probably subconscious, but certainly did the job. So that's when I joined Nutrien Ag Solutions as the national seed manager and then more recently, I've just joined the sustainability team, which is relatively new, 12 months old. So yeah, that's sort of the short history of my career. Hey, it's Nick here, sheep farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. One thing I'm really curious about, and I, I think about this so much when I think of as people work their way up and naturally you become more removed from the thing it was that probably drew you in. Like, do you miss the days of being in the dirt, looking at crops, being just, I was going to say just an agronomist, but really just going your focus, purpose, everything is about growing those best crops. Yeah, no, absolutely. I miss um, the growers first and foremost. So I still do deal with growers in this role, but probably not as, you know, you're really working with the same growers day after day, week after week and helping them to grow a crop. And, and that's what I miss probably the most. Just chatting away in the paddock, you know, on a great summer's day is excellent. I'm a redhead, so I don't miss the 40 degree days or the, the minus five degree days out in the paddock, but certainly do miss just, yeah, just being out in the paddock and chatting to growers and, and seeing what the results are at a farm level. So that I'm probably a couple of steps removed from that now. And, and that's certain, I certainly do miss it. And so with the couple of steps removed now, what are the parts of your job that you really enjoy and 
over your career, how's that fire reignited in different ways? Yeah. So I still like to think that we're doing, like I still really like to focus on maximizing production for farmers. And that's what we're all about. Everyone in the ag industry is about. So so that's still the focus. And I think that really ties back to what I'm doing now is maximizing productivity whilst reducing our environmental impact. And, and that's the part, you know, I guess you could say farmers and a lot of advisors are always focused on that, always focused on sustainable ag. And Australian farmers by default need to be some of the most sustainable in the world. But I guess now with a lot of the pressure coming uh, onto the ag industry with regards to sustainability, then uh, really focusing on that precipice between the two, really improving and maximising our productivity whilst reducing those environmental outcomes. And that's, I guess that's my, I hate to say the word, but the passion at the moment is really to try to help our growers understand what this means for them on a practical level. And that's what our team's doing. What does this mean? How do they navigate it? What could this whole space look like in two to three years' time? And maybe it's not even that long without being alarmist. And just making sure that they're starting to get a little bit of information and education around this space. Look, and that's the thing, isn't it? Because, and that was part of the reason we've just recently launched this carbon conversation. Like it is moving so quickly and there's so much, I'm not going to say alarm, but there's so much information getting spread. Yeah. And there's people who are the opportunists that are jumping in and going, oh, yeah, he's But for farmers and agriculturalists, like this is livelihoods and businesses, not just that have been built to this generation, like the decisions that people are making around in specifically the sustainability space around carbon and projects, like that's generational impacts and commitments that people are making. Absolutely. And that's what our advice to farmers is. We're not saying that the don't enter into a project. It's being going into it eyes wide open and getting that secondary independent advice on a program that you might be entering into because some of these these programs do have a really long time that the grower needs to be committed for. And so, yeah, they really need to go eyes wide open because there is some pretty big dollars to being put on the table in front of growers, you know, which is good because some of those are real opportunities, but some of them, the science probably doesn't back some of those opportunities being put in front of a grower. So that's our advice is to seek that independent advice and really go into those uh, into those conversations with eyes wide open and a little bit of education around what this space means. And for you, like, is it really interesting being in, I'm going to say, a bigger beast of nutrient, a global business working based out of North America and obviously with the Australian arm now, to have those conversations cross continents and understand nearly what are the trends, what's emerging out of North America, but then also being able to relate and talk about what's happening back down under? Yeah, exactly. No, no, it is really good. So I've, I, always work for a smaller company and then I joined Nutrien and I was a bit worried about the big beast too, to be honest, but I couldn't be happier with working for Nutrien with those global connections because it's exactly that. You've got plenty of people you can reach out to to say, hey, what's going on over there in this space? Soil carbon, for instance, what's happening in soil carbon? How's that playing out for you guys? What are the issues over there? So we can sort of have those discussions and bring some of that information back to growers, albeit needs to be contextualised to the Australian context, but we can have some of those conversations. So yeah, it is really good to have those global connections, but a lot of the issues facing Australia, just by the nature of how dry we are, um, one of the driest continent on the earth, just those challenges around some of this will be unique to Australia. So yeah. And one other part, it's involved in Nutrien, slightly removed from your day job, but highly related to your day job, is your involvement in diversity and inclusion committee at Nutrien. So like, what are the conversations? What was it that got you involved in there? But actually, what are the conversations you guys have as a group 
Yeah, so the Diversity Inclusion Committee really started myself and a, another girl with Nutrient at the time. We were getting asked lots of questions. We were sort of playing an informal mentor role to a, a few women in the business. And we said, well, what else can we do here? Because we have so many employees and there's a lot of women across the country that we're not even have, we don't even know about, let alone having conversations with. So how can we do this a bit better and a bit more structured? So we started just with a meeting in Melbourne where about 100 women across the country came in and we just tossed this up, workshopped it. We had our MD at the time, Rob Clayton there. And it was just really to put everything on the table and work out how we go forward. So post that, we developed a diversity and inclusion committee. And one of our key focuses to start with was women in ag. So, and making sure that we had high representation uh, in the business generally, and then also particularly in leadership roles. So a couple of the key initiatives that came out of that was uh, the Women in Nutrient Mentoring Program. So we have 12 women each year, roughly 12 each year that like we have quite a few applicants and then we select 12 women to be paired with a mentor and really working on their career journey, what's next for them and having that advocate in the business. So some of these women probably go under the radar because they're not putting their hand up. And so having that advocate in the business is great. And also the big part of it is, is to try to increase their self-confidence. So we find that's one of the biggest issues, as I mentioned before. So increasing that self-confidence, having that mentor to really put some power behind the career discussion and then an advocate in the business. So we have that and we have another version of that for, for senior females in the business. And then combined with that, we're doing a lot of regional events to really try to promote why having a more equal workforce is a benefit to the business. You know, that diversity of thought is a big one. So we're doing that. And like we said, it'd just be great to get a few more males to the events, but albeit where we're starting, we really are starting to make some inroads in there. What I would say, and someone had mentioned this to me at the start when we were at the start of the journey, they said, if you don't have the top level support of the company, you'll probably never get anywhere. And we're really lucky that Kelly Freeman, our MD, and the whole Australian leadership team, it's just not lip service. They're not paying lip service to it. It's not just a throwaway line. They're really dedicated to making sure that we do promote more and more women to come into the business and then also into leadership positions. So, yeah. And it is so important, isn't it? And that's where I think private business and like well I'm at this careers fair at the moment for people and I think like there's a role for everyone to play in it and obviously the RDCs really push it different groups but private business is where real change happens because there's real outcomes on the line there's real financial and business impacts of not getting these things right so actually driving and being the leaders that you actually not just need today but into the future and making sure you've got that coming through and you're supporting those people within your businesses like that's where the change really happens. And I think that's something which my eyes have probably been really open to where I think I've had that philosophical view of like, oh yeah, it's it's great. It's happening up here. But the real drivers are happening in businesses every single day. And, and I think you guys are testament of that. Yeah. And the only thing I'd finish on is that we've really seen like a real cultural shift, I think in the last couple of years, where before it was sort of roll your eye sort of stuff about the initiative. And now it's like, yeah, so it's really starting to be ingrained in the business, which was always the, the end goal. And I think that's testament to a lot of the people in the company, but particularly the leadership team um, advocating for it. Definitely. Now, Beck, I've got a couple of thought starters. And this is one, well, they're really fueled by conversations we're having on the side. There's obviously the, the really important question around advice to year 10 students. But I did want to chat to you because I'm interested, like to you, what is your definition of agriculture? That's actually, <laughs> that's a really interesting question, definition of ag. 
So I guess it's producing food to feed the world. Like I guess that's our tagline too. So maybe that sounds corny, but it really is. It's producing food to feed the world and fire, but to clothe the world. So it in, that's in a nutshell at, at its base level. But I think ag is so much more than that now, you know, and this is probably going to lead into the year 10 student question, like the question that, uh, or the advice I'd give to a year 10 student. Ag, you can go in any different direction in ag. There's, you know, ag is ag tech, it's biotechnology, it's data, it's uh, sustainability. There's so much more to ag now. So, so, yeah, and I really think it's about that. And I think going forward, it's really going to be about that, making sure we've got the balance between maximising productivity to feed the world and then also making sure we're reducing our environmental impact so we don't impact uh, climate change anymore. Yeah. And I think a big part, and this is the part which I'm learning as well, God, I'm doing some learning, is around with like agriculture exists today and this is what it looks like. And this is, let's call it best practice. But knowing that the way we do it today isn't going to be the best way in the future because we're going to continue to learn and understand there's going to be better ways to do it. But, and I think that's the sustainability part of it is going, we continue to learn, we continue to shift that dial. But today with what we've got and what we know and what allows people to continue to do it, this is how it works, but then let's actually understand where it's heading from there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's there's so many drivers of that, like, and I'll just bring it back to one example, like biotechnology. So when people talk about tech in ag, you think of, I don't know, robotics and drones and all that sort of thing. But for me, in my seed background, biotechnology and the, the, ga- the yield gains, the pest and disease management, nutrient use efficiency that we can achieve by looking at the biotechnology and breeding of some of these crops. I think that's a fascinating space, but it's one of, of many that's coming in, in ag. Yeah. 100%. Now, a question, I've only introduced this one recently. Is there something that you're trying to overcome, address today, or an area that humans of agriculture can actually help you with? Yeah, so I think it was, we've probably already touched on it, Ollie. It was really around that education on what sustainability means for a grower. I think from our discussions with growers, there's a lot of confusion and mixed emotions about this space. Some are um, just saying, I don't want to know anything about it and it's complete crap. <laughs> and others are saying, you know, want to be right on board. What can I do now? And, and there's everything in between. But I think overall, a lot of people are confused about what this could mean for them. So I think it's that education piece. I, I know you've done that uh, session with Richard Eckhart uh, and Richard does the, the carbon neutral agriculture course that, that we also facilitate. So I think that's a, you know, that's a key course for some growers to participate in. But just trying to start get, getting growers to try to potentially understand what this means for them uh, and the importance of that so that, yeah, they don't lock into anything that may have longer term impacts on their business. And that also just so that they're prepared for when something comes in this space. And I think probably most people that are operating this space think something's coming, whether it's regulation, market access, market premiums, but just so the growers are ready and prepared for that. So that's probably um, just trying to get that messaging out there, which you've already done a lot of, Ollie. So Yeah, awesome. Well, we'll just keep plugging away. But I do, I do think it is really just starting the conversations, getting the different perspectives and views out there but and going, yeah, it's okay to ask those questions. But really, I guess what we're trying to drive off the back of those conversations is people to get curious because otherwise that's where if you're not, and not asking the questions. That's where these blind sides in market access, in regulation, whatever it might be, can what feels like come out of the blue. But actually, if we start to ask the questions and be a bit proactive, I think that starts to reduce that potential heartache down the track. Yeah, I agree. And that's our message. Yeah. 
So one final question for you, Beck. What's a question that you'd like me to ask a future guest? <laughs> yeah, so you're throwing them all at me, Ollie. That's great. <laughs> so I'm going to answer this uh, with two questions. One's probably more boring and predictable, and the other's just going to be a bit out there. So I guess one question that I'm constantly asking myself, so I'd be really interested in other people's thoughts, is if we fast forward 10 years in ag, and you could even say 20, but I think there's going to be a lot of change in 10 years. If we fast forward 10 years in ag, like what, what's the ag industry look like and what are those major changes that have happened? So if, you know, I guess if we had a crystal ball, we'd be all rich. But certainly I think that that's going to be a really important piece. The rate of change is just going to really make, I think, and I believe 10 years time, it's going to look a completely different landscape. So I'd really, I'd ask someone that. That's my boring answer. My more interesting question was, I'd ask someone, if you had an unlimited budget, which uh, celebrity would you get to be the face of Australian ag at a campaign highlighting Australian produce to the world and why? So so that can be a hard question you can ask someone next time, Ollie, because I don't have a great answer on it. But I love that one. That's a good one. Which celebrity would you get to be the face of Promote Aussie Ag? That'd be so interesting. We should bring back Russell Coit, don't we? But we modernise him. <laughs> Well, we were just tossing this one up the other day and uh, I was thinking it depends on if you wanted to have more women in agriculture, you could certainly, you could pick a couple of uh, well-known celebrities that might help that, but uh, but certainly, yeah. So I, I think that'd be a good question. Miley Cyrus? <laughs> Wouldn't be my first pick, but... No, I'm just trying to think, yeah. It's a tough one, isn't it? So yeah, I haven't come up with a great answer yet either, but I'm still thinking on it. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey could be a good one. Chris Hemsworth came to mind, but he's Australian. But yeah. Well, that's the thing. Do you go on Aussie or do you go on someone overseas? Yeah. Anyway, so that's a tough one to ask someone next time on on your podcast. Well, and you know something I learned the other day is David Beckham used to play in kangaroo leather soccer boots. There you go. (laughs) David Beckham, David Beckham it is. Well, Beck, thank you so much for coming and having a chat. I'm, I'm glad we got the audio right this time because I do think our event was an awesome conversation, but it was actually fantastic to sit down with you one-on-one and hear a little bit about your story, the decision-making that you've made at different points in your career and appreciate the time and looking forward to catching up with you again soon. Yeah, thanks, Ollie. Thanks very much. Well, that's it for another episode from us here at Humans of Agriculture. We hope you're enjoying these podcasts and, well, if you're not, let us know. Hit us up at hello at humansofagriculture.com. Get in touch with any guest recommendations, topics, or things you'd like us to talk and get curious about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Rate, subscribe, review it. Any feedback is absolutely awesome and we really do welcome it. So look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you next time. See ya.